Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about our young people and the challenges they face in school and out of school, on social media and in the real world, and how we better prepare them to meet those challenges. How do we make them resilient? We're going to talk with a journalist and counselor from Washington, D.C., who's written a book called Middle School Superpowers, Raising Resilient Tweens in Turbulent Times. Uh, We'll also talk with the founder of an organization that helps schools deal with the mental health problems that kids show up with these days. Really great conversations about a really important topic and something that every family, I think, is confronting in some way or another. That's where we begin the conversation today. A little later in the hour, we're going to speak with Elizabeth Koshman, the founder and executive director of a University of Michigan mental health program, which has been expanding its work into more Michigan schools. But before we get there, we want to talk with someone who both works in schools and also writes about the experiences of the students in those schools. Phyllis Fagel is a journalist, a school counselor, and most recently the author of a new book titled Middle School Superpowers, Raising Resilient Tweens in Turbulent Times. She's here now to talk about why she thinks students are struggling so much and what we can be doing to help them become more resilient. Phyllis Fagel, welcome to Detroit Today. So let's talk about why you think middle school students in particular are struggling right now. What are kids saying to you about why they're struggling? First, even without anything going on in the world, it's such a tough phase. Kids are in so much change. Their bodies are changing. They're often taken out of an environment they know, somewhere where they don't know where they belong, don't know the teachers. And then on top of that, they're constantly pummeled with images of perfection on social media that tend to be heavily altered. They also are exposed to the 24-7 news cycle, all the anxiety and the adults around them. And a lot of them are feeling less safe because of what they're hearing in the news. I, I do want to talk about that distinction between uh, the, the, the Gen X notion of resilience and toughness uh, and, and what you're talking about in this new book, which I think is a very different rendering of, of those ideas. I really relate to your impression of resilience. I think it's often misunderstood and it doesn't help that the term is so overused right now. But what resilience means is that when things go wrong, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's not something you're born with, like an ear for music. It's a set of skills that can be learned, that can be strengthened. And there's so much we can do to help our kids develop that set of skills. And what does that look like uh, in, in, in practical terms? Uh, what, are, what are some of the things that when you think of that resilience that uh, you're asking us to do for our young people and how we would recognize that we've, that we've done it for our young people? 
I think one of the things we have to keep in mind with young people is that they have very little life experience or perspective. So when something goes wrong, it can feel like the end of the world. If a friend drops them, it can feel like their social life is over. If they do poorly on a quiz, it can feel like they'll never be good at whatever that subject is. And so one of the things we want to be doing is developing their ability to think in terms of action. What can I do to make my situation better? How can I have more optimism about whatever this particular setback is so that it doesn't defeat them. Yeah. So I, I want to have you talk just a little about your experience. You are a school counselor in, in addition to uh, an author and a, a, a journalist. Uh, what does this look like in practical terms in, in schools today, the things that you see young people confronting and struggling with? One of the side effects of the pandemic is that kids for a number of years didn't have as much experience interacting face to face with their peers. And I think we're still seeing many of the after effects. Kids are telling me they're lonely and it's not because other kids are mean to them. It's not because they don't want to make friends. It's because they don't have the skills to make friends. They don't know how to jump into a conversation. They may have so much anxiety about it that they're hiding in a bathroom at times when they're have those opportunities to socialize with their peers. So one of the things we can be doing is giving them the tools they need to connect with their friends. Let's start today with Katie in Royal Oak. Katie, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. Hi. I am a parent of five children ranging in age from 15 to 25, and I'm also an employer. So this topic is near and dear to my heart. Hmm. Um, I wanted to make two points. I think that parents share a really strong responsibility in what we're finding as a lack of resilience in this generation because of our adaptation of what's known as helicopter parenting, mm -hmm. um, the use of tracking apps to constantly monitor our kids, having power school on our devices so that we know every last move that our kids have made has really not given them the, the schools, the tools and skills to be independent. Um, so I think parents share a big responsibility. Hmm. I think from a solution perspective, I think we need to do two things. First thing, we need to let our kids struggle. We need to let them try to figure out how to do things for themselves, like change a tire <laughs> by themselves. Um, I think that's incredibly important. And um, that's one of the things that kids they can just look on a phone or they call their parents the first time they have a question and, and don't know how to solve a problem. So, and I think we need to let go of our kids a little bit. Let them let them struggle and be independent. So, so, so Katie, I want to I want to ask you uh, uh, a, a personal question. Uh, what generation would you say you're part of? I'm a hundred percent a Gen Xer. You're a Gen Xer like me. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I was, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm like, this sounds very familiar. This sounds like all of the things that, that uh, I experienced as a young person. So, so Katie, do you feel like the things that we experienced and, and that, uh, that insistence that we figure things out for ourselves, which was way more the, the, the prevalent approach when, when we were young. Did, do you think that that applies in a one-to-one -one way to what our kids are, are, are dealing with now? I mean, things are really different than they were in the 70s and 80s. 100%. And the adaptation of 
mobile devices and the access of information at your fingertips, um, you know, has been a game changer. You you lop COVID on top of it, um, and and you, it, it's not a surprise that we are where we are. But I think it's our generation of Gen Xers that needs to make a concerted effort to raise resilient kids to tell them they can do hard things. Mm. Um, when the going gets tough, you don't just cut and run, which I face all the time as an employer. The minute something goes a little tough, it's like I'm off to see the next good thing. Mm. Um, what you think about our grandparents, our, our grandparents held jobs in the same company for 50 years. Sure. Yeah. So we've really seen a profound generational shift. Yeah, Katie, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, and and it and it rings very familiar to me. I'm I'm not sure that the comparison is as simple as as you're suggesting. I mean, I do think that some of the things that are different are so different that the way we approached the world uh, probably doesn't work all that well. Uh, for our kids right now, but I, but I would love to get uh, our guest uh, Phyllis Vagel to to respond to what you're saying. Go ahead, Phyllis. I agree with everything that she just shared, and I really also empathize with parents. I think we want to give our kids that freedom, but the world does seem less safe, and we have all these tools where we could potentially monitor, and it's counterintuitive, but. When we monitor them, we convey that we don't think they can handle it on their own. And the way we raise independent kids and satisfy that developmental need to feel like you have agency and autonomy is by letting them take those risks, letting them take the train downtown by themselves, letting them drop an activity or choose an activity because that's how they build that confidence. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Phyllis Fagel, the author of the book Middle School Superpowers, Raising Resilient Tweens in Turbulent Times. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. How do we make our kids tough? How do we make them resilient? How do we make sure that all of the things that happen that are unexpected and maybe disappointing in our world don't throw them off kilter? That's what we're talking about here on Detroit Today. And we've got a great guest with us. Phyllis Fagel is a journalist and a school counselor in Washington, D.C. She's also the author of a new book titled Middle School Superpowers, Raising Resilient Tweens in Turbulent Times. Uh, we're talking about the things that she says we can be doing to make our kids tougher, to make them more resilient. Phyllis, before we get back to our listeners, um, I do want to talk about the superpowers that you discuss in the book. You have 12 superpowers that you think we should be teaching middle school students in particular to become more resilient. Uh, talk about what those superpowers are and why you think they're important. So I chose a whole range of superpowers. There's 12 of them and all of them really align with the developmental phase with the fact that kids are so insecure and vulnerable and it's hard to take risks when you're worried you'll embarrass yourself in front of others. It's a time when friendships are everything. You're pulling away from your parents and identifying more with your peers and you have never experienced most of the setbacks that you are experiencing for the first time in this 
period of your life. So the superpowers are things like super belonging, which relates to finding right fit friends and super optimism, which is about staying hopeful and kind of staying in the game when maybe you get cut from a team or you don't get that student office that you were trying to win in the election. And there are other superpowers like super agency, which relates to what we were talking about earlier, giving kids more autonomy to make decisions for themselves and to make a difference in the world, which is something they really want to do. And there's a whole bunch of other ones, all of which are components or skills that kids need to be resilient. Yeah. So you know that parents have a tendency to go kind of big picture with their lessons when really Kids just want to get kind of practical and logistical guidance from us about how to do that, how to manage things. Uh, Why is it more important to discuss those things with middle school students in particular? Especially when kids are transitioning to middle school, I think we as parents tend to bring all of our own stuff to the table. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we might start thinking big picture, like maybe they're worrying about finding friends, and maybe they're worried about the increased academic difficulty. But when you drill down and when I talk to students, what they're often worried about are things like, when will I go to the bathroom if I only have three minutes between classes? Or what happens if I get lost? Or how do I use a combination lock? And so I often advise parents to go low level, take care of those low hanging fruit fears that are easy to extinguish, teach them how to use that combination lock, find out what it is that they're worried about. If they're worried about finding someone to eat lunch with, maybe they can make a plan to meet a friend outside the cafeteria. And often it's easier to handle the bigger stressors once you've handled those small things. Yeah, yeah. Atia on Twitter says, I feel like a lot of the things being discussed so far aren't about the actual mental illnesses, anxiety, depression, and are more about what you deem coddling adolescents who are having trouble adjusting in a rapidly changing world. You're kind of delegitimizing mental illness, uh, she says. Uh, Phyllis, how do you react to that? We are talking about, I think, the the softer side of these questions about how to how to equip kids with what they need to adapt to things in school. At the same time, there are some very serious issues that kids face that look different today than they did uh, in the past. And the rates of depression and loneliness, anxiety, suicide rates, as I discussed in the open of the show, uh, all those things are getting worse. Uh, how do we how do we make sense of those in this context? And uh, just how do we you know th- that's a different that's a different side of this i think it requires a more serious uh set of answers yes i think what we're talking about here are preventative strategies so that we can help kids deal with things like loneliness or deal with things like disappointment help them manage change so that it doesn't rise to the level of mental illness Often when kids are struggling, they may present as deeply unhappy and with a young adolescent in particular, their moods can fluctuate so wildly. It's hard to know if it's the mood fluctuations of puberty or if it's something more serious. But what I've found is that often we can really help kids manage the stressors of the phase by focusing on the skills that they can develop to connect with others, to ask a teacher for help, all of those things that are really things they can do to prevent it from rising to the level of depression or anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go back to the phones and to Danny in Clinton. Danny, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much. Hi, go ahead. Hi. Um, so I was 
um, calling in to comment on the caller, Katie, who called in previously. Um, and she had stated that, you know, a lot of the responsibility was also on to the parents. Um, so I'm a, I'm a millennial who was raised by baby boomers. Mm-hmm. And I have a um, kindergartner, a second grader, and a freshman in high school. And my question was, so my generation is also going through kind of the same things that she described that the middle schoolers are going through at that age, you know, the constant exposure to the 24-7 news cycle. We're also on social media and seeing all of these things. Um, There's a joke amongst our generation about how almost every other month we experience a new once-in-a-lifetime crisis, you know, like Mm -hmm. the pandemic, the banks collapsing. Um, So my question is, how do we find the skills for ourselves, or does that impact things as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great question, Danny. Uh, Phyllis, go ahead. You know, I think one of the things we have to remember as parents, and I'm a parent too, is that we can't meet our kids' needs if we don't address our own. My favorite strategy for adults is simply to connect in a substantive way, one-on-one with someone who cares about you and roots for you once a week so that you have a place to offload all of your own fears. Could be a therapist, could be a religious leader, could be a partner, could be a friend. And then really make an effort to learn the same skills that I'm kind of prescribing for kids. And my hope is that when people read the book that they learn alongside their child. There's no better example of having to learn alongside our kid than social media. This is new to us as well. And we will bolster their well-being if we will if we can take care of our own. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk a little more about social media, how we teach uh, you know, a proper place for social media in, in kids' lives and no question that uh, there's value to them interacting with social media. At the same time, there's a lot of danger, I think, in how much they use it and the way that they use it. That's right. It's a complete mixed bag. And we really want to be helping kids develop some self-awareness about what is and isn't working for them. Even keeping a journal about how they feel when they log on and log off certain apps and then having them come up with a set of strategies or policies that work for them. So one kid might realize that they give way too much of themselves to needy friends late at night. So maybe their policy is they don't check texts after 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. because it depletes them. Another kid might realize they have a great time on TikTok. They like watching funny animal videos, but they always end up feeling excluded or somehow less than when they're on Snapchat or Instagram. And we're not going to get anywhere if they if we tell them how they should use it or what works for them, but really engaging in these conversations with them and helping them think more critically about how they're using it. So, so do you feel like social media is a driver of things like depression and anxiety? Uh, does it cut into, for instance, uh, sleep, which is such a critical part of young people's lives? Uh, they've got to get uh, not just a little bit of it, but a lot and, and enough. Um, talk about that relationship between these more serious issues and social media. Yes, there's no question that social media can interfere with kids' sleep and with just general life balance. 
we want to make sure that kids are getting out in nature, that they're getting enough sleep, that they're seeing their friends face to face. And we want to be thinking about why, how, and when they're using social media. Is it to procrastinate and then they're creating other problems like they're behind at school? Is it because they're anxious to connect with kids in person, but they still want to talk to people and this feels safer? And then maybe we need to be working on bolstering their social skills. Is it something that they're doing because they've always been told they have to be nice and when they go online with their friends, they feel like a helper and then thinking about ways that they can meet that need that might be better for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to Twitter, hashtag us. Let's go to Gay and Island Park. Gay, welcome to the oh, show. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm a parent of two Gen Xers, uh -huh. and they never asked me for any help. There's an <laughs> echo. <laughs> they never ask you for any help. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Kay? Of course, pretty much on their own. Yeah. And uh, because we, we put them into Detroit Walder School, and in that school, the teachers go with the children up a grade with them. So they, in essence, had two sets of parents right. that they could call on if they wanted. Hmm. Yeah. And they've grown into a very wise adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gay, I really appreciate the call uh, and, and you sharing that experience that you had. I mean, uh, you know, there are lots of surrogates who enter our kids' lives and, and help them out with a lot of the things that uh, that they struggle with. Kay, I really appreciate the call. Harry in Sterling Heights, you're up next. Harry, what's on your it's mind? A great, a great topic. Uh, I'm a baby boomer born in 1950, and I, I kind of sympathize with the kids nowadays with the pressure on the cell phones and the videos. You know, we were a kid. We took a school bus that was non-existent when we were kids. Mom didn't work. We had no locks in our lockers. Uh, and the thing that bothers me is that there's a lot of excuses now that there's, the, the child is autistic or she's got a mental problem. When when I was a kid, you're called stupid. And you went to uh, summer school or you went after school and uh, you, you made up the, the grades that you didn't do before. And sometimes some excuses for this that the kids just got to pick themselves up and just do the job. Uh, Harry, that's, I mean, it's such an extreme rendering of the... Uh, suck it up, the, you know, f learn to take it um, mentality. And, it, it, you know, I mean, I disagree, I think, with, with a fair amount of, I guess, your embrace of some of those things. They did happen. There's no question that this used to be a much less uh, sympathetic society uh, to, to the idea that people struggle with difference and uh, that, that we ought to meet them at their differences as opposed to to forcing them to to meet us, you know, in 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 our space, uh, but but what interests me about what you're saying is is again the generational difference. Uh, you're a baby boomer, and I think there's no question things were different for you than they were for me, and different for my kids than they were for me as as well. And and I wonder if that has. A lot, you know, how much that has to do with with the way that that you're thinking of these things that um, that somehow we're making excuses for for kids who are who are struggling. Phyllis, I wonder what your reaction is to that. 
You know, I'm not big on labels because at the end of the day, what we really need to do is figure out what it is that's getting in a kid's way and what we can do to operate operationalize helping them deal with it. So if you have a kid who, you know, might have been called something not so kind a long time ago because they really struggle with social skills, then maybe the answer isn't hammering home this idea that they should have many deep friendships, but instead giving them lots of opportunities to have brief, more structured hangout time with friends so they can develop those skills and focus more on what it is that they need and how we can meet those needs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Phyllis Fagel, it was really great to have you here with us to talk about this and uh, congratulations on the book that you've written, Middle School Superpowers, Raising Resilient Tweens in Turbulent Times. Thanks for joining us on uh, Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. All right. uh, We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a mental health program that has been expanding in Michigan schools. Talk a little more about the serious side of this issue, the real mental challenges uh, that some students face because of the disruptions and the interactions that are so different. Stay where you are. We'll be right back. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. We've been talking about how students are struggling and how to help them become more resilient both inside and outside of the classroom. Now we want to focus on the state of mental health supports here in Michigan and in our schools specifically. Developed about a decade ago at the University of Michigan, TRAILS, which is an acronym for Transforming Research into Action to Improve the Lives of Students, expanded into about 700 schools a year ago when it received $50 million in the 2023 fiscal year budget. This expansion leaves us with a lot of questions like, how does TRAILS operate in Michigan schools? How has it changed over the last decade? How did it change over the last year alone? And how has its expansion affected student experience? To talk about all of this, we have Elizabeth Koshman here. She is the founder and executive director at Trails, that University of Michigan program that works to make effective mental health services accessible in all schools. Director Koshman, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. So uh, talk about what Trails to Wellness is and how it's changed over the last decade. So at Trails, our fundamental mission is to transform the landscape of youth mental health care delivery. And we really believe that the best pathway to doing this is by equipping school staff with the training and resources they need to provide evidence-based and culturally responsible programming to their students. We really believe that the adults who are best positioned to support young people are the teachers and school staff and administrators who are spending their days alongside them in our schools. Yeah. So what does your work in Michigan schools look like? And how are students experiencing the lessons from trails in their school? So trails recognizes that schools are really tasked with uh, three different primary levels of, of support that they need to provide to their students. 
at level one, we're really focusing on prevention and the promotion of mental well-being. So equipping classroom teachers to offer students just really um, foundational lessons in how can they take care of themselves, make good decisions, um, have social relationships and friendships that are healthy, um, and how to handle the disappointment, um, frustration, sometimes hopelessness that is really common in our classrooms. At level two, we think about um, the school mental health professionals that are working in our schools, like social workers and counselors, school psychologists, those that are responsible for kids with more significant mental health concerns, um, and also uh, those that are responsible for identifying early kids at risk of suicide and connecting them to needed care. And our work is really about providing them with professional development training and tools, curriculum resources to ensure that the services they're delivering to kids are effective and efficient and responsive to kids' individual needs. Mm. So during the 2022-2023 budget year, Trails got a big boost in funding because of the yes. Whitmer administration's priority uh, on education. Uh, talk about how that money supports Trails and what it means to our kids. Well, it has truly been transformative for us as an organization. But I think more importantly, um, Governor Whitmer's office and really an incredible group of bipartisan legislators um, really enabled Trails to become not a program that schools purchase or a program that um, is provided to a small set of schools around the state, but we are working at a systems level to become a primary partner to the state, to the Michigan Department of Education, to our school districts really statewide, um, and thinking about how can we leverage the muscle of the many, many programs that are already active in the state and the workforce that's already here um, to change the system, to make care more accessible, more equitable, and more grounded in the data and the science that um, drives impact for students meaningfully. Hmm. Um, I, I wonder if you can talk a little about how acute the problems that we see in schools and with young people are these days. Uh, we hear a lot of numbers about rates of depression and, and anxiety. We know that suicides are, are on the rise among young people and young adults. I, I wonder if you can give us a sense of what that looks like up close through the lens of a program like Trails and and how worried uh, people in Michigan should be about how bad things have gotten. Um, well, I don't mean to be a pessimist, but I, you know my perspective is that we should be deeply, deeply worried. Um, I think that we are in a new era where kids feel enormous pressure to succeed and to thrive. And we um, hear from students every day that that is often their number one concern is, am I doing well enough academically? Am I gonna be able to get a job after high school? If I wanna to go to college, am I gonna be able to get into a good college or, or to afford a college education? And yet while they're facing this enormous pressure to try to focus on their academics, um, they are like all of us bombarded by um, constant interruptions, stream of social media messages and dings and alerts and chimes um, that often set up unreal ex unrealistic expectations for um, who and how they need to be. Um, we know that kids are 
um, very aware of um, the polarized political environment. Kids are hearing messages that demonstrate the presence of a lot of hate and violence and really of the adults around them not being able to talk through differences um, and to align behind a shared or common goal. And um, kids are in schools where their teachers are also stressed. Uh, they feel stretched. They feel overwhelmed with uh, incredible number of competing demands. Often those schools are underfunded and understaffed. Um, certainly during the pandemic, we had experiences of kids in schools across the state once they returned, having no teachers in their classrooms, um, be, you know, waiting in gymnasiums or auditoriums, watching screens, not really having access to educational opportunity. Um, and that comes, of course, on the heels of uh, months and, you know, into years of kids being incredibly isolated during the uh, COVID school shutdowns and having a loss of access to their peer groups and to the adults around them that they trust and who support them. So I think kids are just facing major stressors um, and trails, you know, a, a primary goal of trails is to better equip schools to be teachers of ways that kids can cope with that stress and pressure, hopelessness and despair that are effective and adaptive. I think all of us, kids and adults, turn to quick fix solutions when we have those really tough feelings. But those quick fixes often come with secondary harm. So if we're using things like our screens or substances or just going back to sleep, um, those are really avoidant-based ways to cope with difficult emotions. And they often you know, have a temporary fix, but ultimately don't address underlying problems at all. And, and create a lot of harm for a lot of kids. Yeah. Let's go to Kyle in Ypsilanti. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Mm -hmm. um, I worked as a teacher, I won't say the district, but um, urban districts. And, mm -hmm. you know, we had a ton of stressors. We had a, a student die on the premises at one point. Mm -hmm. We had all sorts of tragedies all year long that year that we came back from the pandemic. And to be honest, where I use trails a lot, and we use trails in my building, was with my own mental health. Uh, with the teacher burnout is crazy. And um, I, I don't know, it, it, I, I, I found myself using it at times. And I'm wondering if um, you have any comments on the use of teachers using trails and teacher mental health and uh, burnout. Yeah, yeah. It's a great example. It's a great uh, um, kind of f front line look at things. Uh, Elizabeth, I wonder what your reaction is to Kyle. Yeah, Kyle, thank you so much for your um, use of the program and for calling in. Um, and we hear you. We hear this from every school partner we have, um, that the stress and the overwhelm is just unbelievable. Um, and I just want to start my response by saying that we really believe um, that, uh, you know, our value as a program um, rests on the foundational belief that teachers and the adults and staff in our country's schools are exactly the right people for this work, um, but that we have to address the burnout that you're describing uh, if we're going to be able to help these adults do this work well. Um, that the pressure that you all are under is uh, 
insurmountable. It's really um, incredible. And we hear it uh, from every level of the school. Um, and I'm glad that you're finding some use in the tools. Um, Trails pulls from uh, all the, the research that's out there on what effective mental health care looks like. So um, that acronym about transforming research into action, that is really um, a core tenet of Trails is that we try to identify the most evidence-based, most effective practices uh, that can be used to address common symptoms of anxiety, depression, hopelessness, worry. Um, and the truth is that those skills are appropriate for all ages. They are the same exact tools that are used in um, child and adolescent out outpatient centers um, as they are in adult treatment clinics. Uh, so when we think about pro providing training for teachers, of course, we don't want to turn teachers into clinicians. We want to let them be the amazing teachers that they are. So we distill pieces of that, uh, those approaches down into bite sizes that are appropriate for the classroom. But whatever materials you find on our website, all of our materials are um, open access free uh, to anyone who would like to use them. We, we don't charge for any of our material. Um, and anything that is helpful to you, please use it and reach out to us if we can help clarify. We can always contact us through our website. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, uh, really appreciate the call. Uh, Elizabeth, talk about how we decrease the burnout for teachers. How do we decrease the pressure on them? Um, that's not the main goal or job of trails, but of course it has an effect on what goes on where it's used. Yeah, I think some of this is really um, cultural and systemic, you know, at a national level that we have got to recognize that schools are where our children are developing and growing. Mm -hmm. And we need to re-center uh, schools as a place of um, honor, that we need to have gratitude, appreciation and respect for the people who are nurturing our children all day long, um, not only through the way we interact with them, but also in the salaries uh, that is provided to the education workforce and the funding that flows to our schools. And I think actually Michigan is doing an incredible job of this. I think that we have state leaders, certainly Governor Whitmer, but our, our legislators as well who, um, you know, stipulate the budgets uh, flowing out to, to the schools. Um, we're in, moving in the right direction, but I think we really need to honor those adults who are helping us raise our kids. Yeah. Uh, we've only got about a minute and a half left, but I do want to have you talk just a little about what you've seen since the expansion of trails. We often hear about how important it is to invest in programs like this, give more people access. What's actually happening at the school level uh, since we've made that investment? So Michigan has, um, of course, the Michigan Department of Education and then um, sort of structurally below the statewide Department of Ed um, are the intermediate districts. And there are 56 intermediate districts uh, mm -hmm. around the state. Um, some are at the county level and some are, are multiple counties merged together. And what this funding has allowed us to do is create um, partnerships with every single intermediate district in the state. And our team, uh, we have an implementation team and a clinical team and they work very hard um, connecting with the leadership in those intermediate districts and architecting plans with them in which they tell us how many schools want this training, how many schools want training for their teachers or for their um, student mental health providers in their buildings. And we try to follow their lead. So 
some intermediate districts want training for every building, some want just a few, um, but we try to make the program as flexible as possible so that schools get exactly the training and support that they need and no more than that. So um, we try to be really responsive to schools' interests and priorities. Um, but I'm really incredibly proud to be able to say that we are now actively partnering with every single intermediate district in the state. So that says something about the demand that's out there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Elizabeth Koshman, founder and executive director at Trails. Really great to have you here to talk about your work in our schools. Thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to do it for us on the program today. we got a really great program coming up for you tomorrow. It's a re-air of one of our favorite conversations about how our talk around mental health has changed. We're talking with WNYC podcast host Anna Sale, one of my favorite guests here on the show. That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. You like this show. You get a lot out of it. You ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors, your relatives, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.